Good morning, Valley family. Uh, welcome. We are really excited. A great weekend uh, that we're experiencing. Uh, first of all, Susie and I are so glad to be back. We've been gone for a few weeks, and it's so great uh, to be back with our Valley family. Thank you. We missed y'all. Uh, we really did. And uh, uh, this will be the third week, actually, in a row that I, I'm not preaching. But didn't Pastor Stephen just hold it down great uh, in our absence? Man, thank God for him. And uh, it just puts us really at ease. We were like, you know, we could be gone a month. It'd be all right. I, I think it'd be all right. But we missed y'all too much, so we came back uh, is what happened. But yesterday, uh, we had a men's breakfast. Had almost 75 men out on a Saturday, Labor Day weekend, which is really remarkable. And just had a, a, a really awesome time. Ladies, don't ask what was talked about because you're not a man. And it was definitely man speak. Uh, great time with our special guest who's with us here in Hopewell, both services this morning, uh, John Kelly. Now, let me tell you a little bit about John Kelly. Uh, for those of you that, uh, ladies and, and any of the men that weren't here uh, for the men's breakfast uh, yesterday, uh, John Kelly, he called me, actually, it was back in the spring, and we, we were at a conference, and he said, Greg, I'd like to come uh, visit your church sometime. And when John says that, John Kelly, I, I just made time. I said, Absolutely, whenever you can. Uh, a little bit about John. John is the founder and the convener of what's called ICAL, the International Coalition of Apostolic Leaders. Uh, there are over 21 coalitions in 21 different nations around the world that have uh, really grown up as a result of the International Coalition. Uh, ICAL is, has representation in 97 nations right now around the world. So just U.S. Cal, which I'm a part of, uh, there's over 300 members, ministers in U.S. Cal, many of those representing whole networks of churches. And so you just do the math there. There are literally thousands, tens of thousands of ministers, pastors, leaders in the church today that really look to John Kelly for spiritual oversight and wisdom and direction. And, and if there has ever been a modern-day apostle, he is an apostle, no doubt about that, the way that God uses him globally. In fact, we prayed Saturday, uh, uh, yesterday at the breakfast for him. He's flying home to Texas later on today, one day in Texas, and then flying out to Hong Kong on, on Tuesday and, uh, and meeting with leaders of the Christian church there in Hong Kong. He's all over the globe all the time, and we are so thrilled to have him here uh, in Hopewell Junction, which we believe is the first visit of many more to come. Susie and I have had such a great opportunity just strategizing with him, picking his brain, him just giving us input and feedback about the future. And uh, I'll tell you what, the future is so bright, I think I'm going to have to wear my sunglasses at night. I really do. And see how I did a little rhyme like that? I'm a frustrated rapper uh, in reality. No, I, that's, that's about as good as it gets for Greg. So anyway, without further ado, I just want to uh, pray that you'll open up your hearts uh, to hear what God's laid on John's heart to share with us this morning. Valley family, would you welcome John Kelly. My goodness, with all that introduction, I was wondering who he was talking about. Uh, you ever have that happen to you? Come on. And uh, But uh, before we begin, uh, I just want to share something. And uh, I, I did tell the men, I said, uh, we are in an estrogen-free zone. And I gave them some guidance in that and uh, uh, share with them uh, some do's and don'ts. And one of the don'ts was 
It's a men's meeting. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. They don't ask you about women's meetings. Don't ask them about men's meetings. Hallelujah. But we dealt with issues, right, men? Uh, hurrah. All right. So, so praise God. But one of the things that um, I discovered is this. Um, I'm in my mid-70s, and, well, to be honest, I'm in the latter part of my mid-70s. <laughs> and uh, uh, one of the things I discovered is that when you hit 70, a miraculous thing takes place in your life. Hello? Especially as a man. It's kind of like when you were seven. And when you were seven and you did and said foolish things, your mother would go something like this. He's just a boy. Hello? And when you cross over at 70, and this is like an advantage, I guess, that, that we have as, as men. I never heard this said about women, really, because they're known as, as the ones with wisdom. And so I've discovered that when you're 70 and you say and do foolish things, they have, there's a tendency for everybody to say, well, he's just an old guy. Hello? So if I say anything a little off, come on, a little foolish, you just look at one and go, well, he's just an old guy. Praise God. Hallelujah. Are you ready for the word? All right, I want you to turn with me to the, to the book of Habakkuk, and, uh, or Habakkuk, however you want to say it, just get there. And uh, it's in, uh, we're going to be in chapter 2 and, and a very common scripture there in, in that book. And, uh, and I'm going to just jump right in here. And it says, Habakkuk, first of all, I want to explain about three things about him. Number one, he's probably between 18, 19, 20 years of age when this particular couple of verses was written. And he's also been, since the age of about 12 years of age, he's been trained to be a stonemason, to be a, a cutter of stone and, a, and a, a layer of the stone upon walls and buildings. And, and here he is, a, a, a full journeyman type of, of stonemason at this time in history. And he's not only that, but he's a military, so he's a soldier in the army of Jerusalem. So he has two professions, and he has a third one that's just emerging, and that is as a, as a prophet. And that is probably his newest profession. And he says, I will stand, in verse 1, I will stand upon my watch and, and set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And so he's saying here, I will stand upon my watch. And he's talking about being a watchman on the towers of Jerusalem. And there's an army that has just torn Babylon apart. The walls of Babylon are destroyed. 50% of the population has been wiped out. Another 50% of the population is enslavement. And this army is supposed to be coming down out of Babylon and down into Jerusalem and ready to attack. And so he is at night. He's a watchman on the wall of the towers of, of Jerusalem. And, and he's also in the tower. He's in the high position. And he says, I will stand. And that word stand literally means I will stand in my militant position. He's ready to attack. He's ready to fight. He's ready to have combat at the, any moment. And he's in the tower. 
and you know, we all want to get to a high place, but you've got to know when you get to the high place, there's always people that want to knock you off that high place. Hello? There's people that want to shoot you down. And so here he is in that high place on the tower, and as he's on that high place, every arrow of that enemy, all of the sniper uh, bow and arrow experts are aiming at him and, and all the men that are in the towers so that the alarm will not go out when they come. And he knows this, and as he's on the tower, and he says this. Very interesting what he says here. He says, and I will watch to see what he will say unto me. Now, doesn't that hit you a little odd that I will watch to see what he says? Shouldn't it read something like this? I will intently listen to what he will say unto me. But instead of saying, I will listen to what he's saying unto me, he's saying, I will watch to see what he is saying unto me. And the reason for that is this. I've discovered that when you, when you look at the Bible, the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, what you're looking at is a picture book. Hello? When we look at it, we see all of these words, and it overcomes us when we look at all these words. But if you read the Bible and you stop and you, you begin to visualize what is being said, you begin to see what's going on in the creation of Genesis. You begin to see what's going on when they take this, this mess that has been put on earth and they bring it into the form of a garden and then create it into a paradise. And you begin to see God speaking to Adam and Eve. And you begin to see what God is saying all through that word of God. Why? Because of this. Your mind was created to remember everything you ever are we have ever seen. Hello? When you're a witness to something, the first thing they want to know is, what did you see? What did you hear? The thing you'll struggle the most with is not what you saw. You'll struggle the most with what you heard. Because it's harder to remember what you heard than what you see. When we're, ed when we're educated, the first thing we have to do is we have to be trained in numbers. We have to be trained in the alphabet because that is not natural to our mind to read. It's not natural to our mind to remember everything that's being said. Language is something that came really further on in the development of mankind. And so when we look at this, we have to see that that is what he's talking about. Your mind is an incredible photo album of everything that ever happened in your past. If I said, do you remember what, what that, that particular event in eighth grade? All of a sudden, you begin to see something. If I talk about a certain person, or many times, how many times you tried to, you were in conversation and you were talking to somebody and you said, um, um, I, I, I can't get their name. Hello? But, but I, I can see them, but I, I, I can't get their name. Because your mind is like a photo album. And the more you see it, the more you will never lose the memory of it. The more you will comprehend it. So he's saying, I will see what it is that you will say unto me. Because what's happened is, even though he's on the tower and he's looking out into the enemy's camp, he's a man that moves into another realm. The word of God tells us 
in Ephesians 1 that that same power that raised Christ from the dead is to us word to the working of his mighty power. But then in Ephesians 2 verse 6 it says this. It says, and he has raised us up to sit with him in heavenly places. In other words, what he's saying there is that while you're here, you can be there. Hello? You can be both in a earthly realm and a heavenly realm all at the same time. So what's happened with, with him here, with Habakkuk here, he has gone from a, here he is in the natural realm and a man that's in a moment of fear and he enters into the moment of the presence of God. Whoa. And as he enters into that moment of the presence of God, he begins to say, and I will see what it is that you will say unto me. So then he goes on and he says this, and the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it, right? the vision now I, I don't know about you but one thing that all of us have in common is this everyone in this room has had dreams hello and you, you've got to write this down because this is so deep what I'm about to tell you and that is the difference between a dream and a vision alright this is heavy stuff the difference between a dream and a vision is you dream with your eyes shut and a vision's with your eyes open. Hello? You can say Kelly told you that, all right? That deep, that deep revelation. And so when the scripture talks about, I saw a vision, it means his eyes were open and he saw something. Hello? Like, like the prophet that saw the writing on the wall. And so, so he says, I, I saw something, but a dream is something with your eyes shut. Now, we have four kinds of dreams. How many of you ever had a nightmare? Lord, you know, well, what do I do as a Christian when I have a nightmare? Wake up! There it is, it's deep stuff. You know, rebuke that thing. <clears throat> I, I don't claim that in Jesus' name, hello? And, and, and then the next thing is a bad dream. How many of you had bad dreams? Glory to God. Come on, you get a hold of some, pe some pizza with too much pepperoni and peppers on it, I will guarantee you, you will have a bad dream. Peanut butter late at night will give you a bad dream. <laughs> so you just, you know, you just wake up, rebuke that. But how about a good dream? How about a good dream? We were watching football last night. Amen? We are watching Georgia, North Carolina. Hallelujah. And, as, and I went back to my room, and somewhere around 1 o'clock in the morning, I became a defensive end. Hello? Hello? Hey, hey, come on. In my mid-70s, I'm in full uniform, and I am out there. And I woke up, and I was like, man, I'm tired. But it was a good dream because never lost a down. Hallelujah. Winning all the time. The only problem is never. it was just defense, defense, defense. So I was defensive end. And so... That was a good dream. I had fun last night. I was tired, but I was I had fun. Well, anybody ever wake up tired? Good dream did that to you. Hallelujah. But but then there's a there's a God dream. And and you see a God dream, you only need one of them in your whole life. Because it'll change your whole life. And so 
but there's some there's certain things that good dreams and God dreams have in common because some good dreams is about something that you may desire to have that's a good thing come on and I had a dream uh, a couple years ago and it was a house it was a house and see I used to take dreams and uh, visions things about ministry and on I'd write them all down some of I'd write paragraphs trying to describe and in detail this thing that I'm seeing and what it is and all of that and and then I'd somehow lose the notebook and you know it's like I lost my dream I lost the vision or we move go, and go to another house and somehow where, where, where's my stuff I why is it my box got lost all the time <clears throat> so so what happened there is that I began to discover it says here write the vision how do you write a vision you don't write a vision in words a vision is a picture it's a picture I tell pastors you're going to get a new building draw it get an architect put a picture up let everybody see what that thing is because when you have something in your view you get clarity on where you're going and so I began to do that I began to you know in my bag I have a pair of scissors I got I got some uh, uh, colored colored pens things like that so I can draw things I can cut things out so I, I had this dream of a house and it was about three months later I'm looking at a magazine and there's a house that pretty much 90% looks like the one I saw so I cut the picture out and you know what we all do we all get that that magnet from the dentist and we put it you know put it on the refrigerator so I put that picture on the refrigerator because I wanted the family to see where they were going next hello because that was a good dream but it was a good dream about something that we were to obtain and it and all it meant was daddy got to work a little harder make a little money and, and we're going to get that house and three years later we got that house hello and the family was happy they were like oh we can't wait to move in that house and and we've been in, living in that now for three years now then I had another dream it was a car it's a car I called daddy's caddy 1972 Eldorado Eldoro model only about some say a thousand some say 1200 wherever made same car used in the movie Superfly all these gangster movies used in James Bond on the shootout on the Bell Parkway in New York City glory to God and that car is 21 feet long and only two doors with a 500 horsepower engine and I saw me in that thing going 120 miles an hour why because I'm in my come on I'm in the latter part of my mid-70s and when I got to go somewhere I got to get there quicker than y'all so because oh, come on old guys we got a greater need for speed than young guys they don't have a need for it we do hallelujah there's a difference between a need and a want they want but we need hallelujah well I took a picture of that caddy I found it in a magazine a car magazine I put it I cut it out and I put it on that refrigerator and everybody in my family I mean even relatives close and far out said we ain't never riding in that thing 
And you know what I said? I don't care. I don't care. It's daddy's caddy. Hello? House was y'all. Caddy's mine. And, and uh, you know, I shared that. And, t- and some of my spiritual sons, they found one out in, in St. Louis in an old warehouse, been abandoned, and they found it there. And now I got it, and I'm having it all rebuilt. I'm telling you, I can't wait. I can't wait. And hello? Because it's for me and my guys. Hello? And we're just going to drive and go, hi, y'all. So, so, but see, we, but we have all, we have this thing in our mind that when we have a dream, it's got to be, oh, the house got to be from God. The car's got to be a God thing. No, these were good things that all you had to do was work to get it. Hello? So, then, what I'm about to tell you took place in a major city, a major city called Chicago. And it happened about 32, 33 years ago. And I was ministering, and I don't know what I was speaking on that day, but a woman that was sitting on the end of the middle section of of the front row came up when I was done. She had on high heels that were too big. She had on makeup that, that, that didn't look good on her. She had some teeth that, you know, because makeup's supposed to make you look good, but this, this wasn't happening. And, and you know, seriously, I, I was in a Pentecostal church meeting one time, and, and the, the head of it said, you all right? I said, what have you done to these women? And, and, and they, 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 they said, well, we, we believe it's a sin for women to wear makeup. I said, I believe it's a sin. I come from New Jersey. We believe it's a sin for women not to wear makeup. Hallelujah. And so, so anyway, uh, uh, and she's sitting there, and she's got some teeth missing. She weighs about nine, not even 90 pounds, about, about as big as my leg, I think, right now. And, uh, and so she, she's there, and... And she, I'll be honest with you, she wasn't even wearing a dress. She, she, was, she had on a, uh, I don't know, some kind of thing, uh, lingerie thing, but it, it covered her. And, and so she came up to me, and she's crying her eyes out, and she said, I had a dream, but I lost it. And just then she had these three little boys, and, and I started telling her something about the dream. And just as I began to say something to her, Three women came around her and they said, listen, honey, listen, sugar, you can't be bothered with that because you got them three boys to take care of. Don't be talking that crazy stuff to this preacher. And I'm thinking they don't even put a clothing on her. Hello? So I said, just listen to me as we walk across here. I got to go out that door there. I got to go to the pastor's office. So we began to walk across and this one little boy got both feet on my foot, wrapped his arms around me. Her other little boy came up, and he started punching me right about here. I'm probably going to need a new hip now from her at this age, but he was hitting me here, and the other one was screaming at me and pointing at me and telling me to get away from his mom, and I'm walking through with this lady like this with dragging this child on my leg, and the other one hit me, the other one screaming at me, and can I share with you what I share with her? I said to her, you know I'm going to share it anyway, right? 
You know, I'm a, say he's an old guy. He does what he wants to do. So, so, so I said, so I said to her, I said, tell me the dream. And, and she said, well, I lost my dream. I said, tell me the dream. Just go ahead and tell me the dream, honey. Well, well, I saw a lady in white. She had white nylons, white dress. She had on a, a white blouse. And this, this lady might have been maybe, maybe 19, 20 years old, the gal I was talking to. And she said, white blouse and, and white hat with a little red, red cross on it. And I said, what do you think that was? She said, well, nurse. And, and she said, but I lost my dream. I got that one. I said, when did you get it? Well, I'm nine years old. I said, when did you lose it? And she told me after some boys attacked her and she dropped out of school and everything. We don't have to go into the details. And, and I said to her, honey, you didn't lose your dream. You just told me it. You still have it. Yeah, but I, I said, no, 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 yeah, but. You still have it. You didn't lose it. Because anything, any image that's going into your mind is still there. Hello? There's something we may need to cast out. Hello? The Bible tells us that. Cast out the vain imaginations, those vain images. So, so I said to her as I was walking, I began to share with her four or five things. Can I share them with you? Now, she got just a couple of words, but you're going to get the, the amplified. She got the abbreviated version. The first thing I told her was this. Every dream whether it's a good dream or a God dream, has a price. There's no such thing as a dream that will come into the entire fruition in your life that you will not have to pay for. I said, it will cost you, and there's a name for the price. There's a name for it. Every price has a name. And the price for this is called sacrifice. And I said, it's impossible to bring a dream into fruition unless you're willing to pay the price. And the more that in dream impresses you, the more you desire to see it fulfilled, the greater the price. And it's called sacrifice. And I said, to be a nurse, it's going to cost you everything. You're going to have to go to school. You're going to have to invest money. You're going to have to invest time time away from your children. You're going to have to figure out how to care for them, how to feed them. There's going to be nights when you're going to be so tired, you'll fall asleep on the bus. There's going to be times when you're just going to feel so tired and so you're going to cry. You're just going to break out. But sacrifice means you keep on keeping on. You keep on going. And when you're down, you get up because that's the price you got to pay. And then I went on and I shared this with her. I said, if it doesn't bring a passion in you, stop right there. Because you've got to have passion. If you're going to go from faith to faith and glory to glory, you've got to have passion. If you're going to be, as Romans 8 says, those that even Satan, even the creature is afraid of, those that are the manifesting sons of God, those that are going from maturity to maturity, growth to growth, development to development, success to success, achievement to achievement, obtaining goals, of, come on, all of those things, you've got to have passion. There's a difference between those that want to be and those that become. 
and it's the passion that's in them. Because passion is what God gives you to drive forward. It's passion is what gives you the power to overcome obstacles, to overcome barriers. Passion gives you the power to pursue. If you're sitting here saying, I can't wait to get out of here, hello, to get some, get some brunch, I will tell you right now, the first thing you're doing is you're going to brunch because you got a passion for it. Hello? Come on. You brothers out there, that woman you're sitting next to, you had a passion and you say somehow, some way, her and I are going to be together. Hallelujah. You paid a price too. So, passion is the power to pursue. Once you lose your passion, you're beginning to lose your life. Because in order to go from faith to faith, glory to glory, you've got to go from change to change. My favorite gospel song is change, change, change. Because he or she that doesn't change, doesn't receive, and doesn't achieve. Well, you know, I'm too old to change. No, because you're so old, you better change, or you're going to die a lot quicker. Hello? There's no such thing as I, I can't. It's more like I, I don't want to. Hello? Because the Bible says we can do all things through Christ Jesus that what? That strengthens us. And when he, if he gives you a dream, you can do it. But you've got to have that passion to pursue it. And the other thing is focus. Focus is a key. I had something happen really exciting uh, last Saturday. I went up to what was the St. Regis uh, 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 Native American Reservation, and it's now called Aquasani. And when I was a young boy, between my freshman and sophomore year in high school, I lived there. My dad built every bridge across St. Lawrence River. And so we lived there for that time, that brief time period. And, and I met two, two young men there, played lacrosse with them. And then when I was 16 years old, between my, my, my sophomore and junior year in high school, I, had to go, I went to work for my dad as an iron worker in Syracuse, New York. And, and here I was, 16, looking up, thinking, how am I going to walk at? And this young Native American came, and his name was Clyde Cree. And Clyde came, and he was a little bit taller than me. I thought he was about three, four years older than me. I discovered last Saturday he was only a year older. And, and he said this to me. He said, walk. So I walked. And he said, oh, you, you walk you walk like Kelly. You walk straight to me. Uh-huh. He said, that's how your father, your uncles walk. Good. And then he said to me, he said, as a man walks, as you walk on the earth, determines whether you can walk in the sky. Uh, that, that, that had no spiritual significance now, but then, but now it really does. And, and so he said, he said, you walk like a duck, you know, you'll sit on the iron. He said, if you're one of these men that drifts when you walk, 
you'll fall off and die. Hello, I didn't think that was good either one. So, so he said, what you do, he said, and he had a little piece of iron there, about, about six inches wide, and uh, where we were going to walk on was about 12, but, but this was six. And he said, get on there. So, so I get on there, and I begin to walk. You know, and, and he says, stop. I said, why? What am I doing wrong? I'm, I'm walking all right. He said, you're walking terrible. You're going to die. I said, why? He said, because you're looking at where you are. I said, well, you got to look where I'm at. I'm on a six-inch piece of beam, and I'm going to be in the air. I mean, I got to walk. I got to make sure my feet are right. And he said, you look down. You get dizzy. He said, everything will start to blend. You'll, 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 you'll fall. I said, really? I said, well, how do I do this thing? He said, you look at where you're going, not where you are. See, the reason many times our dreams and visions are not fulfilled is because we're looking at where we are. Here's this gal. Hello? Total object poverty. No education. Just a week ago was a drug addict. Heroin, who knows what she was on. All messed up. And... Is, is anybody with me now? Here she is. And if she looks at her now, she's just going to stay where she is. Because her now looks impossible to get her to where her future is. And you see, when you look at where you are now, you'll say, well, I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm too educated. I'm not educated enough. I, I, is anybody here with me? And so, so, so basically, the worst thing you can do is look at your condition. You've got to look at where you got to go. And so, as I, so he said to me, he said, he said, what you do, he said, is you look at, you take a point, not based on your height, but on your nose, and you put your nose into a certain place right there. And he said, and you go where your nose is. Pointer. I'm like, really? All right. Good thing I got a big nose. So, so I start. There's a line here on this road. So I started looking where I was going. And when you look where you're going, come on. You walk it perfect. But if you look at where you are, you're too concerned about being perfect in the now. I was all oh, glory to God. So, so focus. The Bible tells us, keep your eye on the prize, tells you, keep your eye on the throne. Well, keeping your eye on the prize, that is the outcome of your dream. That is the outcome of your vision. That is keeping your eye on the prize. And so, the other thing is this. I wrote a book with a guy who played with the Buffalo Bills for about 10 years, Paul Costa. He and I were great friends, and I was his spiritual mentor. And um, it's a long story, but... But he and I wrote this book on power to get well. When we wrote this book, we discovered that like something like 80-some percent of those that win over a million dollars in the lotto will be broke in seven years. Then we discovered, because we were both professional ball players, we discovered that 80% of all NFL, AFL ball players of our time or any time, within seven years, are financially broke. That make big money. 
We also discovered that's true of hockey, that's true of baseball, that's true of soccer, any sport in the world. And, and so the politically correct answer is lack of money management. But the real answer is family and friends. Anybody with me? Because the moment you got money, crazy Uncle Harry shows up. And he needs like $100,000 for a restaurant. He's never worked a day in his life in a restaurant, never been a busboy, never been a dishwasher, never been a cook, never been a waiter. Is anybody here never worked a cash register? Yet he's going to make you money running your restaurant for $100,000, and $500,000 $500, later, you've lost. Hello? Family and friends. And see, you know, some of you are more loving than God, and that might be weird. In because Jesus said, if they don't receive you, what are you to do? You're to cast the dust off your feet, and you're to move on. So when you have somebody in your life, and you have a dream like that, that, like that young woman did, and you have a dream, and they say to you, sugar, don't be thinking that crazy stuff. That person is an adversary to your future. There are people in your life that celebrate you, keep them around. There are people that tolerate you, keep them around. But there are people that hate you. Now, they may say, you know, I'm your cousin, you know, I'm your brother, I'm your sister. Hello, they may even be your parents, I don't know. But the thing is this, if they're adversarial to your dream, they're adversarial to your life. Because now you're confined to normality. Who wants to be normal? Who wants to be average? We're not called to be normal. We're not called to be average. We're called to be, come on, beyond that. And so what you have to do is sometimes when there are people that, you know, they just tolerate you, you got to be able to say, talk to my hand because I don't hear you. Talk to her. But there are other people you got to say, bye, y'all. Bye. Anybody abuses you in any way, bye, y'all. Because you're the temple of the Holy Ghost, and you got to protect it. And you got to protect your destiny, your future. At the same time, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, talks about 10,000 mentors and only a few fathers. And we make a big thing in church works about you need a spiritual father, and that's true. But, but the thing is this, you also need 10,000 mentors. And some of us may have only had a thousand mentors by now. But you're not going to get any anything that you want to accomplish in life, anything you want to achieve in life, someone has to teach you. By a book, by a CD, by a class. You know, here's what I discovered. I didn't know how to read until I was in sixth grade. And Mrs. Imhoff got a hold of me and just scared the living life out of me by informing me I would never leave six, I would never leave sixth grade till I learned how to read. And uh, so I learned how to read and never stopped. But the thing is this, because this is the uh, shortened version here. So, so the thing is, uh, I discovered this. I never had a teacher beginning with Mrs. Emhoff was probably the beginning of the revelation. 
George Eberly, my coach at the Turner's gym, teaching me about sports and stuff, was probably the other that helped this, this, this revealed thought. I never had a teacher, a coach, sergeant, or anyone that was trying to explain something to me that was committed to my failure. The only person ever committed to my failure was always me. And, and you see, the thing is, none of us have to learn about failure because we're good at it. No one in this room has ever gone to a library and said, you know, I'm really looking for a great book on failure. Because no one's ever written one. And the reason why no one's ever written one is we're not attracted to it. You're, 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 walk, you're in a city. And you're looking for directions, and here's, here is a, here's a, a homeless street person. Do you go up to them and say, hey, I'm new here. I don't know where I'm going. Can you tell me where such and such is? No. Your nature is not to do that. You see somebody dressed up a little nicer, you know, you'll go, hey, excuse me. I'm new here. I, I have to go somewhere. I have to go to such and such. Why? Because you're not, you're, it's built in you not to be attracted to failure. But in order to be attracted to success, you know, people say, well, if I meet a, a multimillionaire, all I need is some money. Well, like I just shared with you earlier, don't take long to be out of money. But really what you know, what you need to know is what to do with it if you ever get it. You've got to, come on, we all need know-how. See, the Bible says this very clearly in Proverbs, that without a vision we perish. That means we just slowly die away. But it also tells us in Hosea, without a Bible, I mean, without, without a vision, we're destroyed. It means your entire future is wiped out because you don't have the necessary knowledges to get you to the place of the fulfilling of your dream, your destiny. And so we need 10,000 mentors. You know, I don't know. I, I, I probably got a couple thousand more to go, thank God. Because I'm going to 120, and that takes a lot of mentors to get there. So that means that out of 10,000, I'll be fortunate if I have 5,000 by now. Hallelujah. So I got a lot of work to do. I got a lot of catching up. So we need 10,000 mentors. The, the other thing. And so I shared these things really quickly with this lady. And it says here in verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, and not lie. In other words, that dream was not a lie. That vision was not a lie, whether it was good or, or God. And though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. It'll come to pass. So going back about probably probably more like six years now, I'm in the same city, but I'm not in the city. I'm in I'm in a place in the suburbs. In the city, I was preaching in a church about two thousand. In the suburbs, I'm probably preaching in a church about two hundred. And mostly young people in this church and. Uh, mostly business professional type people and uh, and this church actually had a lot more political and financial power than that other one even though it was 2000 and 
And this lady comes up to me, about this tall, you know, kind of rotund, and real, real sweet look on her face, just, just love, and, and I mean, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you want her to be your grandma, and she, she's got silver hair, and she comes up, and she's got this giant behind her of a guy, about 6'6", six, six, about 300 and some pounds, and he's smiling, he's just all smiles. And she goes, remember me? And that's scary. Because I not only don't get a name, I don't get a picture. I mean, I'm blank. And I'm thinking, boy, I mean, she, I mean she's acting like I really should know her. And she's going, come on, come on, you got to know me. And I'm going, oh, man, I'm in trouble because I'm going to hurt her feelings. I'm going to offend her because I don't know. I, hello? So... So I, I look over and I said to her, you have a story. And I don't know why. I said, you have, you have a dream. And she said, that's right. She said, remember the three little boys? She said, remember the girl that had no education? Remember the girl that was a wreck physically and all? I said, yes. Said today, I'm the chief of all personnel at the largest hospital in our state, state of Illinois. She said, I make over six figures. She said, I she said, I got a job in the hospital cleaning floors and cleaning, just being a scrub lady. I wound up being a nurse's aide. I went from there to being a practical nurse. I went from there to being an RN. I, got a, I went and got a degree in administration. And she said, and this is where I am today. And she said, I'm going to retire in about three years. I'm thinking, I'm not going to retire for another 20. She's retiring. For, and, and here she is. And, and she says, and this is my son, Luther. And I said, hi, Luther. And, and Luther said, hi, how are you? How are you, Mr. Kelly? And, and I'm looking at Luther. And she said, remember the one that was on your feet? I said, uh-huh, Luther. And she said, tell him, Sugar, what you're doing. Well, I graduated last year, University of Michigan, and I'm in school right now. I'm going to be a doctor. Then I'm going to get my law degree, and I'm going to be involved in, 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 in the legal part of medicine and practice and all of that. And I'm going to represent, and I'm going to work with my, 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 my brothers. And I said, your brothers? And she said, and he said, yeah, remember the one that was smacking you right here? I said, uh-huh. He said, he, he's a lawyer. He said, remember the one hollering at you? He was my oldest brother. I said, yeah. He said, he's a doctor, and he works, and he's an orthopedic surgeon in the same hospital mom's in. And I said, let me tell you something. Y'all are what you are because your mother's a dream. She's a dream. Her life is a dream walking and talking because you see it says right here in the word of God that in the fulfillment of a dream in the destiny of a dream it says it's yet for an appointed time at the end it shall what speak it shall speak and be a testimony and her children they don't believe that there's any limit because their mother broke the barrier. She was willing 
to pay the price, the sacrifice. She had the passion to come out of nowhere, surrounded with people that told her she couldn't be what her dream was, and she was willing to walk away and walk over. She focused and she fulfilled the dream. And every one of you have a dream. And every one of you have a destiny. Could you please stand? If you can. I want you to make this proclamation of faith with me. I'm going to say something and then you say it, okay? I have a dream. Let's say it like this. I have a dream, and my dream cannot be denied, and I shall fulfill the dream. Now, I want you to do this. Take, take your thumb just like that and go like this. I've got a dream, and my dream cannot be denied, and my dream shall be fulfilled. Now, I want you to bless your brothers and sisters around you. Take your hand like that, put it like that, and point to three people and say, you've got a dream and you've got a destiny. You've got a dream and you've got a destiny. You've got a dream and you've got a destiny. Now, are you ready for this? This is the third one, because what you profess with your mouth, come on, that's where you're going. So I want you to take, take this right now and go like this again. Now turn to the same people and say, I've got a dream, and I've got a destiny that cannot be denied. I've got a dream, and I've got a destiny that cannot be denied. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, let's all pray together. Father, we thank you, Father, for good dreams and God's and your dreams that you give unto us. And, Father, that we can fulfill those dreams by sacrifice, by passion, by mentors, by knowing who to be with and knowing who to walk away from. And Father, the 10,000 mentors, we shall focus to the fulfillment of the dream. We thank you, Lord God, for your word, for Habakkuk that's in that great cloud of witnesses and giving us this word today. In Jesus' name, amen.